On this edition of Jerusalem Dateline, Benjamin Netanyahu sets a deadline to finish negotiations and swear in a new government. Plus, an historian gives his take on Israel's future. And the country honors a fallen hero who united Jews and Christians. Plus, hear how Heidi Baker is standing strong in the face of terror in Mozambique. And we'll visit an ancient winery from the Byzantine era. All this and more on Jerusalem Dateline. Hello and welcome to Jerusalem Dateline. I'm Chris Mitchell. Benjamin Netanyahu set Wednesday, November 23rd as the deadline to form a new government as negotiations continue for ministerial positions in his coalition. The deadline raises the possibility of the religious Zionist party not being a part of his coalition because of disagreements with party chairman Bazalal Smotrich. Of particular interest are the ministries of finance, defense, and interior, which will determine many aspects of government spending, national security, and laws regarding citizenship. The election of new leaders to Israel's government, including the controversial figure Itamar Ben-Gavir, has some American Jews concerned. We spoke to one historian who paints a hopeful picture of Israel's future. Gil Troy is a professor and a columnist who does um, commentaries for the Jerusalem Post, like this latest one, The Israel We Know Still Lives, which is in reaction to a rather nasty column by the New York Times' Thomas Friedman. Gil, what did Friedman write about, and why did it so upset you? We just had our fifth election in two and a half years. Because Israeli love, Israelis love democracy so much, we vote again and again and again. So there's a bit of a stalemate. And all of a sudden, because Thomas Friedman doesn't like these election results, which were democratic and reflected the people's will, and were extremely close, 4,000 votes would have shifted, he says, the Israel we know is gone. And why are you condemning a country so quickly? Why are you so quick to define a country, first of all, by a stalemate election, and secondly, by its politicians? And, of course, it, it sent everybody into a tizzy because everybody always feels that Israel's on probation. Israel is not on probation. Israel is not going away. And we all know a country and our love of country is not defined by our politicians. We love our country and we sometimes love our politicians, but we have to love our country despite our politicians quite frequently, and we love the country always. What did you do about it? Like, what did you write about? I know that's some of what you wrote about, but, you know, what was kind of like the f your message to American Jews reading the Jerusalem Post and others around the world? As a historian, I always say my text, my favorite text is context. And so I said, first of all, you have to understand part of the problem is the Israel you don't report um, is still there. And the Israel you don't report includes over 25 people uh, who have been killed in terrorist attacks in 2022 alone. There have been 2,200 different attempts. Um, and they're heartbreaking stories of young women, of young men, of older men, of older women, innocent people just give, living their lives being targeted by evil people who want to destroy peace. So first, you have to understand that part of the reason why some right-wingers um, who Thomas Friedman hates were elected was because Israelis were scared. And Israelis were worried. And I also said, wait a minute. They're talking about what is our relationship between the Jews and the Arabs here in Israel. Well, you can look at four different snapshots. You can look at two, I said, which are really good and show tremendous progress, and two, which show tension because life is complex. So the two things I wanted to say were, one, it's more complicated, and two, understand that the country isn't defined in this way by this one snap election. Mm -hmm. Now, you wrote about that uh, guys like Friedman and many American Jews know the, the names of the new like far-right leaders here, like Ben Gavir and Smotrich, and, uh, and yet there's names they don't know, and you listed seven. Why did you write about those seven people? So there are now two very charismatic, uh, popular politicians on the right, 
um, Smutrich and Ben-Gvir, who have been pushing very, very aggressively against the previous government and uh, against Israeli Arab terrorists. And they're very careful to say not against Israeli Arabs, but against terrorists. And their politics is not to my taste. And I was very clear that, about that in the column. But nevertheless, I understand why some people voted for them out of fear. And I felt that it was really shocking that American Jews, who tend to say they know everything that's going on, know the names Smotrich, know the names Ben Gvir, but they don't know the names of Noah Lazar, an 18-year-old woman who was stabbed to death just 20 minutes from here in Jerusalem. They don't know the story of Noam Raz, a 47-year-old father of six, whose father, who heard two days after this um, election that one of his son's killers had been caught, and then the father died. So you also see that terrorism doesn't just target the individual. It targets the family and it targets the country. And once you understand that, you don't have to judge so much and you can say, okay, life is complex and maybe this election didn't work out as I wanted to, but Israel still lives, Israel's values still uh, are important and we still love the country because we're still a part of this broader um, democracy, um, this part of the club of democracies, which includes the United States, which includes Canada, which includes Great Britain, which includes Israel. And it's a very small club. And if we don't look out for one another, and if we don't support one another, where are we and who are we? All right. Well, thank you so much, Gil Troy, sometimes commentator for the Jerusalem Post, who wrote this very effective column, The Israel We Know Still Lives. Earlier this year, a wave of terror attacks swept through Israel when Palestinian terrorists killed 11 Israelis within days. One of the victims brought together both Jews and Christians. They called him the hero of Israel. 32-year-old Sergeant Amir Hori died last March when he confronted a terrorist in the predominantly ultra-Orthodox town of B'nai Brak. He was a hero. He was a warrior, you know. He was a first responder, but the best we get, we have. His commander, Lieutenant Colonel Danny Haddad, explained how Hori confronted the terrorist who was in the middle of a deadly shooting spree. He almost shot other people, but when he saw the police officer, when he saw Amir, he turned around and shot Amir. This is why other people saved. And the moment that happened, his friend that were with him killed the terrorist, and this is how he saved lives. Otherwise, if they were getting late a few minutes more, the other people that were, were being killed. So this is how he saved life. This week in a ceremony, the Christian friends of Magen Davida Dome donated a motorcycle in Hori's memory. This motorcycle is a way to remember the life and legacy of Amir Khori, found in the words of Jesus who said, Greater love hath no man than he lay down his life for his friends. Through his giving his life for Orthodox Jewish people, the entire nation wept for him. Christian Friends of Magendavida Dome is here to build bridges between Christians and Jews. And a lot of it is to educate and to, to show that we are God's children, all of us. And I felt that it was an honor for me to be able to meet this family and for us to donate a motorcycle to another first responder. Thousands of Israelis came to Hori's funeral, including many ultra-Orthodox Jews. Amir died giving his life to protect Orthodox Jews in a very contested area in B'nai Balak in Israel. He actually brought these Orthodox Jews who may be very suspicious of Christians to understand that there is love for the Orthodox Jew. For the family, the anguish of losing their brother, son and fiance still leaves a void in their hearts. It's very hard what's happened with me, with my family, because my brother is dead and uh, what's happened 
with, with my sisters, with me, with the life with, with my family. First off, I want to say that Amir is an example to us all. He really did unite people. And even with all the pain and hardship that is with us every day, we don't forget this unity. His death left Amir's fiancée, Shanice Shahar, with a broken heart. Wow, so much, so much. My life, uh, it's broken. Amir is uh, my life. But Hori's legacy within Israel lives on. They saw him as a hero. Everyone in Israel knows who is Amir Khouri. They know this name because they know what he done. All the people in Bnei Brak and all the area are very grateful to him. All the police officers, the other police officers want to be the example of Amir Khouri, want to be like him. We want to be, you know, be like Mike, be like Amir. Up next, World leaders rally in Egypt for the UN's Global Climate Summit. Here are the latest schemes to save the planet when we come back. Download the CBN News app 24-7 News from a Christian perspective at home or on the road. One place for all of your news. Breaking news alerts. Set daily prayer goals and pray for news stories. Read the most important news and watch CBN News Channel Live. CBN News, because truth matters. Go to CBNNewsApp.com to get the app today. Experience God on a new level. Empowering the believer is what this podcast is really all about. Discover insights into scriptures. Be encouraged by inspired teaching. Everyone listening. Everyone. You can be a chosen vessel. The Lesson with Gordon and Ashley. What did Jesus get? Everything that the Father has. Yes. Learn more about what God has for you. The Lesson on cbnfamily.com and YouTube. Now, for a limited time, you can get five of CBN's critically acclaimed documentaries. Experience the rebirth of the modern state of Israel. The historic bonds between the Jewish people and the land of Israel cannot be broken. Relive the battle for Jerusalem in the Six-Day War. Jerusalem is yours forever. Discover how Israeli volunteers are changing the world. When people need us, we volunteer and we come and help. Explore the world of Israeli technological innovation. For people of dreams, God gives us dreams. And that's really the roots, I think, of, of much of our innovation. And understand the biggest land dispute in history. Many Palestinian Arabs claim that the Jews stole Arab land. But is that the real story? This exclusive Israel DVD collection can be yours for a gift of $29.99 or more. Call now or go online to get your Israel DVD bundle, which includes streaming access. World leaders have been in Egypt for this year's United Nations Climate Summit. The world body is again warning about impending catastrophe, and some religious leaders called for repentance from what they call climate sins. Dale Hurd brings us that story. The pyramids were lit up to welcome world leaders to the UN Climate Summit in Sharm el-Sheikh, Egypt. In what almost looked like an end-of-the-world trade show sponsored by Coca-Cola and other big corporations. This summit began as many others, with the dire warning that life on Earth will end if climate change isn't stopped. The clock is ticking. We are in the fight of our lives, and we are losing. We are on a highway to climate hell, 
with our foot still on the accelerator. One has to wonder, however, whether this doomsday rhetoric can be trusted. After all, 50 years ago, the UN warned mankind had only 10 years to stop the catastrophe. 40 years ago, the UN said we have until the year 2000 to prevent the equivalent of a nuclear holocaust. And 15 years ago, the UN warned that if climate change wasn't stopped by 2012, it would be too late. The world has not only failed to end, CO2 emissions are 50% higher than they were 20 years ago. With even the UN now admitting its policies have failed, some want to throw even more money at the problem. After 26 previous summits and trillions spent on the climate, the UN still doesn't have a working blueprint to lower the Earth's temperature. For this 27th attempt, U.S. climate envoy John Kerry says what's needed are trillions of dollars more. There's also support for hundreds of billions in so-called loss and damage payments to poor nations, basically climate reparations. Joe Biden told the summit that the U.S. will become the world leader in fighting climate change. Young protesters kept interrupting the event, including Biden's speech, demanding more radical action be taken by world leaders to save the planet. Climate activist Greta Thunberg denounced the summit as a scam and greenwashing. That's when a company fakes its environmental commitment. But climate skeptic and author Mark Morano at the summit told us he saw more corporate sponsors than ever before. We've been completely corporatized. The main partners this year are everyone from Microsoft, Google, uh, to uh, IBM, and all these big corporate conglomerates that come in. Meta is here, the parent company of Facebook. Al Gore was there pushing his new Climate Trace Initiative, a global network that tracks down carbon emitters so they can be fined or shut down. For any nation that requests our assistance, Climate Trace can provide all of the assistance necessary, a complete inventory of all of the emissions from every major point source in its territory every year for free. Tracking every private entity to see how much CO2 with the explicit purpose of helping the United Nations enforce climate treaties. It's not far-fetched to think this climate trace CO2 monitoring will be following humans and monitoring us as well. Not far-fetched at all given that Google is one of Climate Trace's six funding organizations. Also, during the summit, clergymen held what was called the world's first multi-faith climate repentance ceremony to seek forgiveness for climate sins. Activists went up to Mount Sinai and smashed what were supposed to be the Climate Ten Commandments. But with the UN itself admitting failure, the biggest impact of climate policies has been a worldwide energy crisis through an over-reliance on green energy. And all the failed prophecies of doom over the years don't seem to matter. If you're Al Gore, if you're John Kerry, uh, if you're any climate activist, how do you walk this back? Okay, we've been doing this for 30 years and these people have come out with the most dire warnings, by the way, none of which have turned out to be true. How do they ever walk it back? They can't. They just have to keep it going. Dale Hurd, CBN News. Coming up, we talk with Heidi Baker about Iris Ministries and living on the front lines of revival and persecution in Mozambique.
Names from the Old Testament are being unearthed all over the city of Jerusalem. This was amazing. Come as close as you can get to personalities that are known from the Bible. Astonishing discoveries made today. A jaw-dropping moment of Bible archaeology. This is much more than a thrill. This is actual history that took place here on the site where we sit right now. Confirm the kings and prophets of the Bible left real evidence of their lives. Right time, the right place, with the right people. And one of the most significant finds in recent history. Exactly as the Bible tells us happened in the days of King Hezekiah. Written in stone, kings and prophets. We have the Bible and we have archaeologists. Telling our story, it's matching. The Old Testament is a reliable history book. Get your copy today for a gift of any dollar amount. Call now or go to cbn.com slash written in stone. Here, we're committed to a heritage of rigorous scholarship dating back over a thousand years. And to a faith tradition dating back a thousand more. This is how we create a culture of inquiry where no topic is off limits. And a culture of hope. Anything's possible! It's Christian leadership. And it's changing the world for the better. It's higher learning. It's greater knowing. It's what makes us whole. It's what makes us region. Hello, everyone. I am so happy we are together for one of my most favorite times of the year, Thanksgiving Day. Gizmo and friends have so much to be thankful for. I'm thankful for my family, my friends. For God and all that he has created. We have resources to be able to live. And the Holy Spirit. Join the CBN Animation Club and get the great Thanksgiving turkey test. Plus two copies to share with others. All for your gift of only $25. Heidi Baker, co-founder of Iris Ministries, lives in one of the most poorest and dangerous places on earth, Cabo Delgado in northern Mozambique. Since 2017, the Islamic group Al-Shabaab has led a deadly campaign there. I recently spoke with Heidi to hear what is going on in Mozambique and what message she feels the church needs to hear. One other place uh, that most people know where you are is Mozambique. Tell us what's happening in Mozambique right now. Well, we live in northern Mozambique. We've been in Mozambique since uh, 95, but we've been the last 20 years in the north. So it's mm -hmm. Cabo Delgado. And right now we're in, um, there's a major conflict going on where Al-Shabaab's uh, there and they're, they're wanting Sharia law. Mm -hmm. I think it has a lot to do with gas and oil. Um, it's a spiritual conflict as well, but um, we've never, ever, ever seen anything like it um, as far as people coming to know Yeshua, coming to know Jesus. They're just running to him. Um, so it's the hardest time we've ever been through and one of the most glorious times at the same time. Are you seeing signs and wonders as well? We are, we are, but the most, the, the greatest sign that we're seeing is um, that people are coming to him like never before. Uh, we, we saw many, many people coming to know him through the years, 20 years in the northern region that used to be um, almost all people of another mm -hmm. faith, but they, they came when deaf ears heard or blind eyes saw or people got up and ran, but now they're coming just because they're seeing what, 
what love looks like as we bring food, as we bring audio solar Bibles in, in the form of New Testaments in their heart language. So they're seeing what love looks like in the midst of villages being burned, of people being tortured, brutalized, not just believers in Jesus, not just believers in Messiah, but anybody of the same faith that doesn't believe just like they do. Maybe they're not wearing the same clothes or they can't recite a certain book in a certain language. They're also losing their lives. So there's this this contrast going on and people are just running to him. Given what's going on there and the, and the example of these saints, uh, what is your message to the church? Get ready for shaking. Um, I know people would like to pray against shaking. Um, that and, and there's obviously no one wants persecution. No one wants war. Nobody wants terror. Nobody wants famines and floods and hurricanes and cyclones. But we read the end of the book like things are happening now and they're going to increase. We read this, but we have to understand we have to read the end of it. Like we have to have faith in the midst of it. I if I could say something to the church out there right now, to the congregations, to the believers, it's, it's we're, we're called to stand firm in the of the shaking. We can't live a lukewarm gospel. We can't live a, a flaky kind of life where I'll be fine as long as my rent's paid or my mortgage is paid or I have food to eat or at least water. No, we, we need this kind of this kind of passion that compels us to Him, to, to adore Him and to love Him, and compels us to our neighbor, whether they're a believing neighbor or whether they've never heard the gospel. We need this radical love that, that causes our feet to stand firm. And, and I want to call people to, to, to hold on to the Word, like study the Word, eat it. This is this is our this is our map here. This is our GPS. And Holy Spirit's gonna guide and direct us. But this is this is like it is written. Thanks, Heidi, for sharing your heart. Bless you. It's good to be here. Pray for us too. Will do. Pray for Cabo Delgado. A new documentary called Nifento goes deeper into how Iris Global Ministries is sharing the love of God in Mozambique. Find out how you can watch the film for free online at cbnnews.com. Up next, discovering the remains of a high-end winery in the middle of a Byzantine industrial area. Introducing a brand new way to start your morning. Get your daily quick start from CBN News. A quick read on the important news of the day, delivered right to your inbox. Stay current on breaking news, politics, and entertainment. Discover how God is moving around the world and here at home. Plus, get exclusive stories and daily scripture encouragement just for you. Stay informed. Go to quickstart.news and subscribe today. Remember for a moment what it was like to be a child. You believed every story you were told. You saw a world full of endless possibilities. 
What stories will the world's orphaned and at-risk children believe? We believe the Bible tells the only story truly worth believing. We believe that every child should have the opportunity to dream, the chance to take challenges and turn them into possibilities, the chance to stand on the promises of God, to recognize their place in the greatest story ever told. They have their whole lives ahead of them. Theirs is a world of endless possibilities. They are looking for a story to believe. We will tell them that story. Will you join us? A sprawling winemaking factory from the Byzantine era has been uncovered in southern Israel. Archaeologists say it's the largest known complex of its kind from that time period in the world. Israeli archaeologists uncovered this huge winemaking complex in the coastal city of Yavne. And this area was one of the major centers of wine growing and wine production for international trade. The Israel Antiquities Authority began this excavation here in 2019. It's a Byzantine-era industrial zone, and it's one of the largest excavations the IAA has ever carried out. Some 200 to 300 people work at the site daily. In use during the 5th and 6th centuries, the facility would have produced and marketed more than half a million gallons of wine each year. It was certainly a prestigious wine. I mean, this was a wine that we know was presented during the coronations of Byzantine kings. Justin II had wine from this region, what was called Gazan wine, presented at his table during his coronations. While the name comes from where the wine was exported, the major headline from this discovery is its size and scope. This is what is also revolutionary in the way that we have not one single wine press somewhere in the field, but we have five wine presses of huge size for mass production of wine all together in a cluster, and they're all situated within a well-planned industrial estate. So we have roads that go between the wine presses. They mirror each other in their architectural design, and they all have the possibility of having a huge quantity of wine produced in them. Excavation director, Dr. John Zeligman, explained how it worked. So the grape juice would have come from behind me over here, from the treading floor, flowed through this channel and out into this area in front of me. This is what we call a filtration pit. It's the place where the grape juice was separated from the skins. That then would flow through our pipes and to either side to the collection vats. There are three to four days of fermentation in the pits. So that's the three and four days of ferment of time when they would be treading and filling the other one. Keep swapping back and forth. The grapes would have come from surrounding vineyards and the site had kilns for making the jars. They have like a torpedo shape and that was something which was known to people. Just like you know what a cola bottle looks like without having the word cola written on it. The jars then went to one of four huge warehouses for fermentation. So the aging would have taken place over a relatively short period in these large warehouses and then the wine would be taken from here to the port and then exported abroad or drunk here in the various sites around the city. 
According to Zelligman, wine was often the drink of choice in those days because of the poor quality of the drinking water. Excavations here are scheduled to continue for two years. The site was supposed to be paved as a highway, but now the city plans to build a bridge over it to make it accessible to tourists. Julie Stahl, CBN News, Yavne, Israel. Well, that's all for this edition of Jerusalem Dateline. Thanks for joining us. Remember, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. And you can also access CBN content through our CBN News and other CBN apps. And don't forget to sign up for our email blast so you can continue to receive all of our exciting CBN content. I'm Chris Mitchell. We'll see you next time on Jerusalem Dateline.